I want to welcome you into the Sunday Preaching Podcast of the Point Church, located in beautiful Perdido Key, Florida. I'm Tim Coleman, the senior pastor, and we believe strongly in the expositional preaching of God's Word that builds our faith and grows us up in Christ. I'm glad you're either downloading the sermon or listening live to our service, and I pray that this message is a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join me as we get to the point. Amen. If you are visiting with us today, we have been working our way verse by verse through the book of Joshua. And it has been really, really, it's been refreshing to me as we've been reading through this. But we're getting to a part of the book where it starts to slow down just a little bit. Okay, If you've read through the book of Joshua before, we're getting into a time where they're starting to divide the land up. They're starting to give some boundaries. It kind of reads like a land survey, okay, if we're being honest with you. And we're not going to read all of the verses that we're going to cover today. We're just going to look at some main ideas. Aren't you glad? Okay. We like war movies. We don't like to read about the people doing typography, okay? But anyway, there are some really good pastoral applications out of chapters 12 and 13 that we're going to be looking at today. It's going to be fresh bread for your souls. But at this point in the conquest of the promised land, They've taken the majority of the land, and they're at a transition period. And I think this worked out very good for us to be on Graduate Sunday as we're looking at a transition period in life, because instead of just going to war and taking over the place, they pause, and they start to divide the land up. So we're going to be looking at a couple of those divisions, and we're going to see some challenges that also comes into play on these, in these chapters, it is not just relevant to us, it is important for us to understand the details. So at first glance, you may see a couple of lists. At first glance, you may see some cities and some boundaries, but I can promise you that this is a reminder for us and the challenge that lies ahead. So the title of our time together today is The Challenge Ahead. I think this serves not just as a reminder to our graduates, but all of us that we have challenges ahead. When you think about the Christian life, it does not stop at the moment that you are saved. It does not stop at a moment where you overcome a sin problem in your life. It does not stop when you lead someone to Jesus. It does not stop when your kids move out of the house. It continues all the way through this life. The process of sanctification never stops, but as we become more and more Christ-like in this life, there are challenges that we face. How many of you today would say, hey, Pastor John, I'm experiencing some challenges in life. I may have not known that these were coming a few years ago. I may have not known that these were coming just a couple of months ago, but I'm experiencing some challenges. Anybody facing a challenge today? There's hands all over the room, all over the room. And the reality is all of us are going to experience trouble in life because we live in a fallen world. Jesus himself told us that we would face trouble. So whether your trouble is experiencing brokenness around your family, a disease or a sickness, or relationships that you may be mourning in this moment, I want you to be reminded that God has all of us in the palm of his hand, and that is the safest place that we can be. So today we're going to be looking at Joshua chapters 12 and 13. Starting in Joshua chapter 12, verses 1 through 6, it says this, Now these are the kings of the land, 
whom the people of Israel defeated and took possession of their land beyond the Jordan towards the sunrise, from the valley of Arnon to Mount Hermon, with all the, Agrab- with all the Arabah eastward. Sion, king of the Amorites, who lived at Heshbon and ruled from Aror, which is on the east, which is on the edge of the valley of Arnon, is from the middle of the valley as far as the river, river Jabbok, the boundary of the Ammonites, that is half of Gilead, and the Arabah that's to the sea of Chinneroth eastward, to the, re- to the direction of Beth Jeshemoth, to the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, southward to the foot of the slopes of Pisgah, and Og, king of Bashan, one of the remnant of Rephraim who lived at the Ashtaroth at Adriai, and ruled over Mount Hermon and Salica and all of Bashan to the boundary of the Geshurites and the Machalites over half of Gilead to the boundary of Sihon, king of Heshbon. Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the people of Israel defeated them. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave their land for a possession to the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh. This is a list of boundaries in the Transjordan area that were given to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. We've talked about them before. We've talked about them before. If you've been with us throughout this series, I want you to just mentally go back to chapter 1 where Joshua is taken over command. These two and a half tribes, they have their inheritance. They have their land. It's to the east of the Jordan River. Joshua is about to lead them into the promised land. He's going to lead them across the Jordan River. And those two and a half tribes start to think, hey, we can camp out here. We have our inheritance. We don't have to go ahead and keep fighting with the rest of the people. But then Joshua comes in and he gives them a command that comes all the way back from chapter 1. So what I want you to see is that God unifies his people. God unifies his people. Joshua comes in and he says, oh, no, 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 no. This is the word of the Lord that you will continue in and you will continue to fight Let me summarize that from chapter 1 with you. The Lord your God is providing a place of rest, and he will give you this land until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you, and they will also take possession of the land that the Lord is giving to them. You shall then, you shall return to the land of your possession, and you will possess it. See, we like to think about disunity coming into the church whenever bad things are happening. But in my experience, disunity comes in whenever good things are happening. And this two and a half tribes start to say, hey, we've been given our land. And division starts to come up into the camp so that God has to speak to Joshua and say, no, you need to tell them that they're going with everybody else. I don't want to trivialize this by talking about uh, some of the issues that we deal with in the modern church today. But how many times have you heard stories about churches with good things going Maybe they start a renovation plan. Maybe they start some kind of new outreach. And then people start to think, oh, my idea is better than theirs. And then you start to have arguments and disunity coming up in the local expression of the church over something as foolish as the color of the carpet. Some of you are laughing because you grew up and you heard stories about that. Whenever we allow for little things like that to come into the church and cause disunity, I think we're disappointing our Heavenly Father. Whenever we allow for junk like that to come into the church and cause issue, because the church has a mission to go 
and make disciples. Did you know that there's a lost and dying community around this church right now? And we don't need to become distracted with sideshows, things that are happening around the church that we don't have any control over. I'm not saying we don't need to totally ignore everything that's going on in the world, but we cannot live in a place where we are all consumed by news headlines and trends online and things that are grasping at our attention all the time. We have to be aware that God has called us now for a purpose, and we need to be unified together around that purpose. There are situations that come up just like the children of Israel that are there are dealing with where good things happen and the people of God start to stop looking at Jesus there's a prime example of that whenever Peter gets out of the boat and starts walking on the water towards Jesus what happens when he takes his eyes off of him he starts to sink he starts to sink and I think that same thing happens whenever we allow disunity to come into the church Sometimes God calls us to a specific task or a ministry area to serve. It may be a vocation. You may be living for the Lord in your place of work, and you can get distracted. There's a lot of people that start with a calling that end up missing their calling because they got lazy. There's a lot of people that start, that set out, that start well. When I talk to students at the beginning of a semester, they're all excited about this is going to be the semester. I'm going to get all A's. I'm going to get my homework done. I'm going to get everything turned in on time. About three weeks later, they're going, eh, it's a little bit hard. Are you with me? We like to start out well, and then we get distracted. And then we start pointing fingers at other people, blaming other people for our own mistakes and our own deficiencies. We have to be very careful to understand that we should be unified as a local expression of the church so that we can spur one another on to the good works that God has for us. You know, research comes out every single day. I see an article, I see them because I'm in the church world online, and it just talks about how pastors are stepping away from ministry for lots of different reasons. Some of those are challenges outside of the church. Some of them are challenges inside the church. But what I know from looking at things like that is that's just a thermometer of what's happening to all of the people who are attending the churches as well. Because life is hard. Challenges come at us just like if you were to go sit out at the beach and a wave comes in, another one comes in right behind it. And they never stop, do they? We have to be unified together because we need each other. We need each other. God created us for community. God created the children of Israel, and put them in this moment because they needed each other. Those other nine and a half tribes needed those two and a half tribes to come with them to take over that land because God instructed them to do that. They needed each other. Eventually, they would experience more challenges. You know, there's enough challenges in the world outside of the church that we don't need to be causing more of those inside the church. I'm not talking about going along to get along, but I'm talking about being unified under the banner of Jesus Christ and the blood that was shed for our sins. We have got to stay unified to that. I believe that God is the only answer for the things that are happening in the world today. We need to be reminded that King Jesus is in charge, not some thought leader or somebody that you follow on the internet, but King Jesus. The Israelites needed to remember God's plan. After all, of the kings that were conquered by Moses that was referenced in verse number 6, 
We see the provision and the faithfulness of God. But there's a problem in Christianity that has existed for a long time. Whenever we forget how God has been faithful to us, we start to latch on to some other things. I was listening to a friend in town uh, has a podcast, and he was just talking about uh, some ways that believers get to this point where we feel like we've like graduated from Scripture, and we start reading about theology, and we start to listen to other people, and we start to neglect the Word of God, and that's where we go wrong, okay? Can I tell you that Scripture is something that we should be in for our entire lives? We have to be reminded that we need to not follow ideas or people because ideas and people let us down. Jesus Christ is the only one who never lets us down. And if we follow somebody that's not Jesus, we're bringing disunity into the church. I want to remind you of the words of the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. He says, what I mean is that each one of you who says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ, is Christ divided. Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Oftentimes, the deepest division that comes into the church are over very small things over very small things in the big scheme of what we're looking at. Now look, I love theology and doctrine just as much as anybody else does, but we can be jerks with it at times. We've got to understand that, hey, the mission of our church, do you know what our mission is? I say it every single week in an announcement video, loving people to the point of life, Jesus Christ. It doesn't say hitting people over the head with doctrine until they believe exactly the way that we do. No, we're championing Jesus Christ first. We're championing Jesus, the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine how foolish it would be if there were two people who got saved in our church and one person said, oh, I follow Pastor Tim, and the other one said, I follow Pastor Joe? That seems pretty foolish, right? But we say a lot of things just like that whenever we start arguing and taking to the front lines things that we heard somebody on the radio say. We've got to be very careful that we're not bringing something that has nothing to do with the Word of God into the front lines of battle. We have to understand that Jesus is the only one who's never going to let us down. I don't care who you're following online, they're not perfect. (laughs) They're not. Jesus is, so why would we settle for less? How dare we allow the enemy to divide the people of God over economics or over personality or giftings or hardship in life or even Bible knowledge? It breaks my heart to hear people say that they don't feel like they belong in a church body because they don't have some kind of gifting or some kind of ability. If you're not ever on a stage in a church, that does not mean that you're a second-rate Christian. It means that God has gifted you to serve in a way that is important for the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has nothing to do with stage or lights or a sound system. It has to do with the hearts of people. And every single one of you, if you're a follower of Jesus, have an important role to play in that. Whether you're serving in the nursery or with our preschool kids or you're teaching a small group or you're giving up your Wednesday nights to come in and love on teenagers or you're just coming to be discipled, every single one of us have a role to serve in the kingdom of God. There are no second-rate people in in the kingdom of God because we are adopted into the family of the Most High King. 
Let me continue. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 to 29. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being could boast in the presence of God. Why on earth would we think more of our own abilities and than what we should. We have been bought with the blood of Jesus. We did not earn our own salvation. We did not earn our own place in life. Our talents and our abilities are, the Apostle Paul calls, filthy rags. But somehow, we, that's the thing we go home, we hang our hat on, right? Oh, look what I did. Look what I can do. Look how I'm succeeding. No, no. Look at what Jesus has done for you. Those eastern tribes were worried because their land was conquered by Moses. They were afraid that the people would say, Oh, our land was conquered by Joshua. Yours was by Moses. There is a division here. But so many times throughout the scriptures and Psalms and Nehemiah, as we continue throughout the book of Joshua, those eastern tribes are mentioned as the people beyond the river who are a part of the family of God. Because I need you to understand this. God unifies his people by not letting the outsiders feel like they're outsiders. He drafts them into the family of God. So the second thing that I want you to see in the text is that we have to count our blessings. Count your blessings. Have you ever been overwhelmed with life? <laughs> ever felt anxiety about the circumstances around you? That's what these people are feeling in this moment. Knowing that there's still a challenge ahead, there's still some land to be taken care of, the portion, the part of actually dividing the land up still has to happen. That sounds like a business meeting I don't want to be a part of, okay? That still has to happen. But they're in this transitional period. And what I think is so amazing, and I'm not going to read these, these verses because I don't want you to make fun of me after church. There's a lot of names that are hard to say. Is that there's a list of 31 kings here. 31. I want you to think about that. Every one of those kings represents a territory that God is turning over to the people. Not all of those battles were recorded in the book of Joshua. Think about the ones that we did here. We spent a whole lot of time talking about Jericho and Hai, or Ai. A whole lot happened in those battles, and a whole lot happened in the other ones that we don't read about. But every one of those battles, every one of those fights, was a measure of the faithfulness of God Every one of those places a kingdom that God delivered to the people. Don't miss the faithfulness of God, not just with the current generation, but all the way back to the covenant that God made with Abraham when he said that he was going to give them that land. But here's the deal about blessings. We don't always see them play out in real time. God made that promise to Abraham, this is going to be your land. Your descendants are going to have rest here. But Abraham doesn't live to see it. Neither does Isaac, neither does Jacob. It's until Joshua becomes the leader of the people that they are able to get to this point. But whenever we stop to look at the faithfulness of God and what he has done in the past, it gives us hope for the present. H.L. Ellison once said, it would be unfair to suggest that the church is unwilling to thank God for all of his many mercies. But on the whole, 
It is unwilling to indulge in detailed and specific thanks. If we were to train ourselves to recognize God's goodness act by act and detail by detail, many of us would come to think more highly of both God and of the church. Much of our despondency comes from failing to see how much God has really achieved. I think that's the biblical model of faith. To stop and give thanks. To call out the blessings that God has given you. The next time you're in a moment of challenge where you feel like anxiety is coming over you, I want you to remember what all God has done in the past for you. Now look, I'm 31 years old. I hope, Hopefully I have more life ahead of me than behind me. And I know that God sustained me to this point. And brothers and sisters who are much farther along in life, I hope that you can look back to even more times that God has sustained you to get you to this point. And he's going to sustain you in the future. All of this started, all of this territory being captured started when Moses sent out 12 spies into the land. You remember what happened? Ten of them came back and said, look, the land is flowing with milk and honey. It's beautiful. But there's some big dudes living there that are going to kill us if we go in. You can go back. You can read it for yourself. That's what they said. But two of them came back. You remember who those two were? Joshua and Caleb. Joshua, the one who's leading the people. And look, I don't like to tease sermons that are coming up, but Pastor Tim's got something good for you next week because we're looking at Caleb right now. Those two guys are the only ones from their generation still seeing, still here to tell the people about the faithfulness of God. How God has sustained them through all of these battles, delivering all of this land to them. But even in the midst of God surrendering all of those things to them, the challenge was still staring them in the face. Because not all of the land was conquered. They still had a ways to go. Uh, yesterday... Um, Yesterday was a tough day for me. I can't explain it. Um, it's feeling a little bit overwhelmed by life. It's just—it's a busy season in the in the student ministry year. It just is between graduations, planning for the summer, um, just other things that that are happening in life. Um, life never stops, right? Um, we've got family members getting married. We're thinking about how we're going to get here and there, and all those kind of things. And uh, at times, just doing the things that you're supposed to do can feel overwhelming. Okay. I look, a lot, of, a lot of you are nodding, okay? You're, you're agreeing with me. And yesterday, I was just sitting in the morning and uh, just kind of felt my heart beating really hard. I was looking at my watch trying to see what my heart rate was. It didn't get up too, too high, uh, but I went and sat in the backyard and just didn't really feel like I could do much productive, okay? So I just went and sat for a couple minutes. I texted my wife and said, hey, I feel like I'm having a panic attack. I don't know what that is, but I'm sitting out here. Um, so she gave me some time to sit, and while I was sitting, um, the thought came in my mind that I was preaching today on dealing with the challenges of life and naming the blessings of God. And one of the action points of that was, of course, to go over those and name those and that it would help us. So that's what I started doing, started just thinking about life, about people that have been there to help me navigate through some difficult times, to think about the blessings that God's given me, how he sustained me. And I got up and went to uh, a graduation for one of our students and for a couple of our students and was able to, to celebrate with them. And then 
went up to the north side of town with, uh, with Pastor Joe to go help lead worship in a youth, rally, a youth rally and just had a moment of clarity sitting there. Uh, this church that we went in really reminded me of the place that I grew up at, you know, just kind of out in the middle of nowhere and uh, just seeing how they were there and they were worshiping together. And I just had this moment of clarity. You ever had that? You've been sitting in a church service and you just feel like God slapped you upside the head and it wasn't anything that anybody was even talking about, just the Spirit of God got you. And I just felt like God was saying, hey, you need to let go a little bit. <laughs> You're trying to do a lot of things that I'm not wanting you to do. <laughs> You're trying to do some things in your own power, in your own strength, and you're not leaning on me because I'm stronger than you. And I went, you know what, God, you are stronger than me, and that's okay. I'm good with that. I don't need to fight against that. And then I came back to this passage, and I started to think about how the Israelites were fighting an uphill battle. They got whooped a couple times along the way because they tried to go in their own strength. So, hey, graduates today, listen to this. You don't have to do it all on your own. You don't have to do it all in your own strength. Because at times when we do, God slaps us down just like he did the Israelites. But this list of 31 kings and cities, God just turned over to the Israelites. He went to fight for them. Here's a list of those. I want you to just listen to some names and understand that it wasn't just that king or their immediate city, but it was even the land that they ruled over. The Lord gave Baal, Gad, Mount Halak, the hill country, the Arabah, the Negev, Jericho, Hai, Jerusalem, Hebron, Debir, Horma, Arad, Lubna, Adullam, Makeda, Bethel, Tapa, Hefer, Aphek, Lasharon, Madon, Hazor, Shemron, Ashtaphath, Tanakh, Megiddo, Kadesh. That was more land than they thought they were going to get. I want you to think about this. They had an idea that they were going to go in and they were going to take the promised land, but they had some doubts. Remember? There's some big dudes in that land. They're going to kill us. They overtook those big dudes who they thought were going to kill them because God was with them. They were able to do far more than they thought they were capable of because they were under the power of God. Every name and town in chapter 12 and even in chapter 13 is a story of faithfulness that God gave the people. When we give thanks to God in detail, we get a right perspective of life. When we feel like life is going great, it's probably not going as good as we think it is. When we think life has fallen apart, it's never as bad as we think it is. When we start to count our blessings, we start to have a right perspective of what's going on around us. So if you're struggling in your prayer life today, I want you to go home and I want you to start naming the blessings of God specifically. Remember from that Ellison quote we looked at earlier? We're really good about saying, oh God, thank you for life. What about life? What about the things that you enjoy? What about the place that you live? What about your family? What about those relationships that mean so much to you? Every one of those is from the Father of lights, who's the giver of all good gifts. Don't just skip over that part of your prayer life. Give thanks. We see that time and time again in the Psalms, time and time again in the Scriptures. 
Even Jesus modeled it for us that we should thank God for everything that is around us. Now we're going to come back to that concept at the end of of our time together today. But in chapter 13, I want you to see that we have to keep moving forward. The Israelites are at a time of transition, but it's not over. They have to keep moving forward. I think this is a good place for our graduates to pay attention. Uh, Earlier this year, uh, well, really the last few years, but it's been fun this year, I've been uh, following the New Orleans Pelicans. It's an NBA team. They've got some young talent on their team this year. They've been really fun to watch. And they made the play-in tournament this year. Okay, so if you're not a basketball fan, Aaron Dewhurst is over here going like, yes. Okay, he's been, he's been keeping up with them as well. We've been bonding over that. But they made the play-in tournament, and I was able to drive over for one of the games. The stadium was just electric. The team won. If they would have lost, season would have been over. They won. They kept going. And I was driving home that night, and I was listening to the post-game interview. That's how you know you're a real fan if you're listening to the coach in the post-game interview. Okay, Or you're really bored and trying to stay awake on the drive home. Either way. Uh, their coach's name's Willie Green. He's the youngest coach in the league. He's, he's, a, he's a Christian guy, okay? He's, he's very unashamed of talking about his faith, and that's been really cool to see as well. But in that, he said, your reward for overcoming a challenge is another challenge. And I thought, man, that'll preach. Your reward for overcoming one challenge is another challenge. The Christian life doesn't stop at a certain point when we've achieved some kind of holiness, However, some of us act like that. The Christian life doesn't stop whenever we know enough about God. Christian life doesn't stop whenever we get to a certain point. No, the challenges keep coming. The challenges keep coming, just like the waves that we see out at the beach, one after another, after another, after another. So the Israelites have gotten to this place where they're dividing the land up And they're probably thinking, hey, we can just take our foot off the gas and coast here. We can just do what we want to. The work's done. The work is never done on this side of heaven. Because we have a mission and we have a purpose to go and to make disciples. Verses 1 through 7, chapter 13. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years. And the Lord said to him, you are old and advanced in years. Won't that bless you? And there remains yet very much land to possess. There's the challenge. This is the land that remains. All the regions of the Philistines. You've heard of them. All of those, all of the Geshurites from Sihor, which is east of the Egypt, north, northward to the boundary of Ekron, which is counted as Canaanite. There are five rulers of the Philistines, those of Gaza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron. And those of the Avon in the south, all the land of the Canaanites and the Mira, which belongs to the Sidonians, to the Aphek, to the boundary of the Amorites, and the land of the Gebelites, and all of Lebanon towards the sunrise from Baal Gad to Mount Hermon to Lebedo Habanah, all of the inhabitants, the hill country from Lebanon to Miresh Foth Ma'am, even to the Sidonians, I myself will drive them out before the people of Israel. I myself will drive them out before the people of Israel. Only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance as I have commanded you. Now therefore divide this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and the half tribe of Manasseh. told you all there are some names that are a little bit tough there, but don't miss what's happening here. 
Joshua is aging. His time as a leader is soon coming to an end. God is greater than any of his servants. Remember how earlier we were talking about not latching on to a personality or following somebody? God is greater than anybody that we can look to. He's greater than Joshua, somebody that he called. But now is coming a time where there is still much land to possess. And God says, I'm going to give it to you. But remember, he said before, if you'll go in, I'll give you the land. There's still a challenge ahead. There is still work to be done. There's never a time in life where we can just coast through and act like everything is going well. But at the same time, there's moments where we need to stop and celebrate. Just like today as we're celebrating our graduates, there is a time of celebration that's happening with the children of Israel because now they are finally receiving the inheritance that God told Abraham about. The inheritance, the land, they have come so far wandering in the wilderness, crossing the Jordan, all of the battles has led up to this point. The big portion of that conquest has taken place. The majority of the land is in possession, but there are some fringe parts, even some big parts, that still remains unconquered. But here's what I understand about Christianity and how it comes into play here. Typically, we're pretty good about following God on the the big things, the main things. When a big challenge in life comes, that's the time where we're going to step up and we're going to be faithful. (laughs) But it's those little things that come in. It's those small parts of life that can sneak up and destroy us from the inside out. Because the enemy only needs an inch. The enemy only needs a little bit to be able to create a stronghold in our life. We don't have to just keep moving forward in the Christian life in the big parts. We have to be faithful in the details. Here the Israelites are told there's still part of the land for you to go and take. And you've got to continue to be obedient and you've got to keep moving forward. And spoiler alert, they don't drive out all those people. You can go to Judges chapter 1 and you can, you can read some of the other people who are still in that land. But let that serve as a reminder to us that there is a challenge ahead that we have to keep moving forward. There is not time to be complacent in Christianity. Complacency is not something that the scripture says that we should be looking after. Instead, we should be faithfully serving God. But that challenge that is ahead does not need to overshadow or eclipse the faithfulness of God. God's been with them before. He's going to be with them again. He's going to continue to sustain his people. And ultimately, that promise from Abraham, Joshua wasn't going to see. The people coming after him weren't going to see. The judges don't see it. The kings don't see it. But it comes after 400 years of silence. 400 years. The people probably thought that God had forgotten about them. But then God sends Jesus Christ to the earth to live a perfect, sinless life, to do amazing things, to teach us how to live, to be obedient even to the point of death on the cross so that we could have life today. All of that inheritance of this land, as great as it was, fails into comparison of heaven. The inheritance 
that we are offered whenever we humble ourselves, we repent of our sin, and we believe on Jesus Christ, the King of Heaven. Would you bow your heads with me? I want to. We're in just a couple minutes. We're going to enter into a time of communion. But first, I want us to have a moment of response and prayer. And the first part of that would be this. If you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, you're not so sure about what this whole Christianity thing is. If you've got questions, you want us to pray with you. Why don't you just slip your hand up in the room? If that's you, Pastor Joe and I will be in the room today, and we'd love to pray with you. Don't leave here without being counseled in that. For Christians in the room, I want you to take a minute in prayer over what we've seen in the text today. What are some ways that you may have been given disunity of foothold in your life, in your family or in the church? And if there are any of those, I want you to ask forgiveness of God in this moment, but I want to challenge you to go and to make it right. The unity of our families and the unity of God's people is not worth us being prideful. It's worth us making right. I want to remind you to count your blessings like the old hymn says, name them one by one. If you're feeling overwhelmed today by the circumstances of life, I want you to be reminded of all the ways that God has blessed you, all of the ways that God has sustained you in the past. And I want you to know today that He is good. He is good. Christian, today I want to remind you that we've got to keep moving forward because the challenges of life are many And they don't stop coming at us. They never let up, but we can lean on the strength of God who will fight for us in our moment of need as we seek after Him. Lord, this morning we pray for one another as we go through life, as we deal with its many challenges. God, I pray that we would be reminded from the scriptures today that you are faithful. That even when we feel like you are distant and that we are alone, that you are right there with us. Lord, I pray that we'd be reminded of our mission to love people to the point of life. To love people so that they would see Jesus Christ. God, I pray that for the Christian that's barely hanging on today, Lord, I pray that you'd give them the strength and the endurance to keep moving forward. To keep moving forward with life. Because if there is still breath in their lungs, they still have purpose in your kingdom. God, may we not be distracted by our own deficiencies because you have everything. 
Lord, we can even look at this group of people who were overwhelmed by the land that they were going into and you delivered it into their hands. So God, today we pray for victory over sin in our lives. Lord, we pray for strength and endurance in life so that we can live well according to your calling and your plan on our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.